want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Hinniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing the psychology of selling losers. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review in your podcast player. You can simply hit pause and rate this podcast in your player, whether that's the Apple Podcast app or Spotify, etc. If you're listening to this podcast on YouTube, please click the like and subscribe button so you can continue to get future podcast episodes. I would really appreciate it because by doing so, your ratings and reviews help me to grow the podcast audience and help more people. Now, let's get started. As you've probably noticed recently, I've done more and more interview episodes versus these standalone instructional episodes. And I think what I've go I'm going to continue doing that in the future, mixing it up between interviews and standalone instructional episodes. And I think the value of that and the value that I'm finding from doing the interview episodes is I'm able to spend more time talking about individual companies. I'm able to introduce new companies to you that potentially you've never heard of. And I'm hoping that this gives you new investment ideas that you might not have been hearing about in your standard public market commentary, whether that's CNBC, um, talking to peers. I'm trying to introduce you to stocks that you necessarily haven't heard of, but might be interesting, might be worth learning about. Um, expand your scope of opportunity. I'm also trying to introduce you to other investors, other people that you can follow and learn from, because although I hope to share with you a lot of information and help you grow as an investor, I know that I can't have all the answers for you and that there will be times where you want to learn from other people. There might be times for you to move on from listening to me and move on to listening to just other people. But I want to make sure that you are introduced to the absolute best resources out there, and that includes those resources that others are creating beyond myself. I also am doing these interview episodes so that you can learn and understand that investing is accessible. Investing is something that anyone can do if they set their mind to it, if they sit down, learn the process, and practice a disciplined process. That's why I'm asking about people's backgrounds. That's why I like to hear about how people got started, what inspired them. And you're going to see a lot of similarities between those backgrounds. And you're also going to see that everyone comes at investing in a slightly different manner. No two people that I have interviewed have had the exact same investing process. No two people have the exact same portfolio management process. And each one's investing process and selections and portfolio is unique. And that's important for you to learn and understand because your investing portfolio is unique. And what you will need to do to be successful as an investor is unique to yourself. 
That's why all I can do is introduce you to resources. I can teach you some of the skills and understanding of investments. I can expose you to new investment ideas and new stock options and new stock ideas. But I can't invest for you, at least not currently. That's one of my interests in the future. Um, And so you need to learn from as many different resources as possible. But to speaking to this idea that each person's investing process and journey is unique, I wanted to spend today talking about the psychology of selling losers. This is going to be an episode focused on my personal investing process. It's going to be an episode focused on what I have been working through and learning in my own portfolio right now. And a lot of this has been driven by some of the interviews and some of the conversations I've been having with other investors recently. And one of the big takeaways that I've had recently is that I need to focus my investing and focus my portfolio on my best ideas. And I also need to focus my portfolio on eliminating losers and buying winners and sticking to those companies that are performing and continuing to perform in the future and not being held to past investing decisions for psychological reasons or reasons that are external to the idea of how to make more money. And I think this is something that I've struggled with in the past. And I think it's something that I've been struggling over the course of this last month, because this, this episode really is discussing what I've been working through in this last month. And what I realized is that I have been holding on to certain companies and holding on to certain investments based upon simple many different reasons, but basically I've had some losers in my portfolio. And here I want to clearly define losers because what I'm just calling a loser is not necessarily a company that I lost money on. Under the definition of this podcast episode, loser to me simply means a company that has lower investment potential returns in the future or a lower certainty of sufficient investment returns in the future than other ideas in my portfolio or other ideas on my watch list. So these are companies that aren't necessarily having lost me money, although some of them have. Some, in fact, have made me a lot of money. But they're companies that when I look at my portfolio today and I sit there and if we're going to use the mental model zero-based budgeting where you basically start over today and say, you know, if I was making a budget for my personal finances, what would I buy today if I was starting from scratch? There's nothing there. I'm going to recreate it from completely from scratch. And what that's doing is it's not allowing you to embed opportunities anything other than the opportunity cost of saying, what are my best ideas today? What are the best performers that I believe I can purchase today? And not worrying about decisions that you've made in the past, not having that loss aversion or not having the feeling that you are stuck in a pattern that you have been set in by previous decisions. Just because you've purchased a company a year ago, five years ago, or five days ago does not mean that you need to continue owning that company today if you realize that it's no longer the best way for you to reach the performance that you are seeking in your portfolio. 
And I don't think this is easy. And this is why this episode is not just called Selling Losers, How I've Sold Losers Over the Past Month. This is about the psychology of selling losers because I think it is inherently human to struggle and question yourself when you're making a change to your portfolio that could suggest that you made a mistake in the past or that companies which you once liked, you no longer like as much. And that can be for many different reasons. It could be due to price changes. And this is particularly true for companies that have increased in price a lot, where you've made a profit, but you might be holding on because you're seeing how well this company has done in the past without recognizing that it might have lower return prospects in the future, largely due to price. It could be due to companies that have performed not as well as you expected. So this could be something where your process was done right, but it just did not work out. And so the performance hasn't matched your expectations, which means that your returns are unlikely to match your expectations going forward. It can also be for stocks that you've actually made a mistake on. The companies you have identified a mistake, you bought a company you shouldn't have bought, or you rushed a decision. You bought a company because it was your best opportunity at the time, But that's no longer true. You have better opportunities. You've identified some new investments. And you're struggling to sell the old companies because it doesn't feel right. Maybe you have certain rules or ideas that you need to hold a stock for three years. Or you're a long-term investor. You're going to hold stock for five or ten years. And you know what? It's a year later. It's two years later. And you have better ideas. You have better opportunities today. And they are truly better ideas. They aren't simply ideas that have come about because you've gotten bored with your company, but you you sit there and rationally and you look at your investments and decide that, no, these are not the stocks I want in my portfolio if I was creating it today from scratch. So, and this is what I've done over the last month or so. So I've examined my portfolio and what I've realized is there's been a few changes that I need to make. And even though I've worked out that I wanted to make changes, it's been really hard for me to do so. And so what I've identified was my portfolio at the beginning of this month had 11 or 12 stocks. Depends upon if you count some private investments that I've made um, in companies that don't actively trade. Um, But if you just look at the substantial positions in my portfolio, positions that really have more than a 1% um, weighting, you're talking about 11 stocks. So I had 11 stocks to start the the month and I've come more and more around recently to wanting to own a portfolio of like closer to five companies, five stocks instead of a portfolio in the range of 10 to 20 stocks. And this is a process that I've been on for the last year and a half, something along those lines. It's just recognizing that You know, I had my old strategy of wanting to own in the range of, you know, up to 20 companies. And this is about the, you know, I was really into the idea of having good diversification, um, being very interested in understanding the limitations of having too few companies and why you need to diversify and a lot of the mainstream ideas that you hear about. But what I've learned over the last 18 months is a lot of the benefits of concentrating and specifically the benefits of concentrating for DIY investors. And I think this is the key. So 
you can't simply look at strategies that are executed by professionals and adopt them unless you are a professional yourself. Now, I have professionals listening to this podcast, but I also have a lot of individual retail investors. And I think this is a difference that you need to understand, whether you're a professional or whether you're an individual investor, that each of those two parties has different advantages. One of the advantages that a professional has is they have more time to invest in their in researching companies. And they can spend 40 or 60 hours a week researching companies. Now, what does that mean? If you have a year, you can spend 2,000 hours or so, or three, two to 3,000 hours researching companies, evaluating which stocks are good buys. And you can divvy those 2,000 hours across your whole portfolio. So if you're buying 20 stocks and you can dedicate 2,000 hours to your investments, and let's say you turn the portfolio over every year, just for example, then that means that each of your 20 stocks can have 100 hours of research behind it. That's pretty good. So now you have 100 hours of research behind your portfolio. You have 20 different stocks. Now, if you're not a professional, you usually can't dedicate 40 hours a week to do your investing. Maybe you can dedicate five hours a week, or maybe you can dedicate 10 hours a week. Let's just say that you're able to dedicate 10 hours a week. Well, now, if you dedicate 10 hours a week and you do that across the year, instead of investing, instead of having 2,000 hours to spread across your 20 investments, now you only have 500 hours. So instead of being able to buy 20 stocks and putting 100 hours into them each, you're only able to put in 25 hours into each stock. And this becomes a disadvantage for the retail investor. Now what you've done is you've taken the idea of diversification, adopted it, and said, hey, this is what everyone does. I'm going to be a diversified investor. But what it's done, because you have less time, is now you have only 25 hours to put into researching a company, and you're having to fight against people and compete in the marketplace against people that are putting in 100 hours per stock for their investments. So now you're a four-to-one disadvantage. That's not good for your long-term performance. That's going to inhibit your ability to be successful. But think about instead is you still put in that same 500 hours of research a year, but instead of buying 20 stocks, you only buy five stocks. Well, now if you have five stocks that you're buying, and you're, again, we're just assuming that for this example, you're turning your portfolio over a year, it can apply to three-year turnover, five-year turnover, or whatever. But if you're now only buying five stocks, but you put in 500 hours, you're able to match a professional in terms of the amount of hours per company that they're investing. Because you can now put in 100 hours per stock that you buy and match the 100 hours per stock that they buy. Now you're not at a disadvantage to the professionals. You've been able to match what the professionals are doing by concentrating your portfolio in the stocks that you understand the best. This limits the ability for you to make mistakes because now you can spend four times as long making sure that before you buy a company, it's the right company to buy. And this is something I've been going through. So if you hadn't already figured it out from listening to this podcast, I'm not a professional investor. I have been investing my money 
for going on, what is it, eight or nine years or something at this point, uh, managing my own portfolio, investing my time in doing research, um, selecting individual stocks for that period of time. But I've been doing it in a way that in some respects disadvantages me to professionals. Now, there's other advantages that I'm mastering and and choosing to take advantage of. Um, Time horizon is a big one that I like to take advantage of. But one of the things I struggle with is I have tried to match this idea of having 20 different companies that I would own without putting in the time necessary to find those ideas. And so I never actually reached a 20 stock portfolio. I ended up in the 10 to 15 stock range because that's the only amount of companies I could find with the amount of research that I was able to do and be comfortable owning them. But what I realized is that I would also end up purchasing some companies without doing as much research as I would like. So it's like, oh, this company's good enough. Um... And maybe I didn't evaluate all of the risks that were involved to the same level that a professional investor might do. Or maybe I had a more simple perspective on the investment than what I might have reached with longer period of time spent in the company. And I'm not saying I've only spent 25 hours. I'm not saying I've only spent 100 hours on each individual stock because I try to have a longer portfolio turnover than a, than turning over the whole portfolio every year. And I'm just trying to give that as an example. You can change the numbers to match it if you had if you're investing for five one you know turn the portfolio every five years. Um, then that would mean that you know a professional could put in. Uh, 500 hours for each of their stock investments and the individual investor could do 125 hours. Um, But if they concentrated, then they could match that 500 hours per investment. And really, I think this is where I've been working towards. And what I'm trying to do is capture both of those benefits. So instead of simply matching professional investors by putting in 100 hours of research into a stock before investing, or into each of my investments because I'm turning the portfolio over every year, I might target a five-year turnover rate. So that means I plan to turn over my whole portfolio every five years, which means if I have five stocks, I only need to buy one company each year. I only need to find one new good investment each year. And that means if I put in you know 10 hours a week, then I can do 500 hours of research on each of the companies that I buy, and that's gonna compare favorably to what an, a professional investor might be able to do, because they might be able to put in only 100 hours for each of the investments they buy, which allows me to have a five to one advantage over the professional investor. And so this is just background. It's, it's important for you to understand the process that I've gone through as I change my portfolio over time, but it also highlights how if I'm going to own five stocks, if I'm going to own my five best ideas instead of owning my 10 best ideas, then the goal should be that I should eliminate the five you know, ideas six through 10 from my portfolio and keep ideas one through five. And that means that ideas six through 10, even though they were my part of my 10 best ideas have now become losers. So I'm saying for this example, you know, I had 11 stocks and I identified five clear what I'm calling losers. And there's a sixth um, 
but I liked it, and so I kind of had it as a tie for fifth. So for now, we're just going to say five losers, which would get me down to six stocks in the portfolio. Okay, so, but now we have a problem because what I've done is I'm not saying that these companies are bad. I'm not saying that these companies were bad decisions. I'm saying that they are the five companies in my portfolio that I think have the least good return prospects. But here we're going to call them losers. And so if I want to sell these companies, there's been some psychological struggles that you go through because if you own a company, if you that means that at some point in your investing process, you decided that this company was going to achieve your required rate of return. You decided that this was a good decision to buy the company, and you decided that this company was going to work out for you in terms of helping you improve your returns, in terms of making your life better. And the process of selling that those stocks on the surface would be taken as admitting a loss, admitting defeat, admitting that you made a mistake or that you could have done better. And I think, I know I struggle with this idea of admitting that I could have done better. I I, I struggle with the idea of saying that I made mistakes. And I think we all do. Um, Or at least, you know, we're not being completely honest with ourselves if we don't struggle with this at times. It might not be investing where you struggle with this. It could be something else, relationships, fitness, um, health, you know, take your pick. But I think it's important as investors to understand where you struggle and then find ways to overcome it. And what I've been trying to work on is using these rational ideas, using these ideas where by lowering the number of companies in my portfolio, I can actually improve my returns because now I'm focused on only my best ideas, only the safest companies in my portfolio, and only the highest potential returning companies in my portfolio. And that should improve my returns over time because now I'm able to spend more time focused on the companies that are doing well. And I just repeat this to myself, and it's been a process. I haven't been able to sell all of these losers. So, what I've actually done is I've sold four of the five so far. Over the last few weeks, um, you know, I'm recording this in the third or fourth week of November. And over the last three or so weeks, I've managed to sell four of the five companies, which I'm defining as losers. Now, again, not all of these companies have lost me money. Two of the companies I've made money on and two of the companies I've lost money on. And for the most part, they balance themselves out. The struggle is, is that one of the companies did very well. Uh, The two companies that I made money on have averaged very good returns for the period that I have held them. One I've held for a year, the other one I've held for about two or three years. Um, And each of those two companies that have made money have averaged, you know, 15 to 20% returns over the period that I have held them. So why are they losers? Why are the companies that have made money for me losers? And why is it hard to sell them? And for these two companies, it's been difficult because when I sell them, it's not so much admitting defeat. It's just saying that I have better ideas. These companies are both high quality and they both have very strong moats and they 
are very well understood amongst the investing community. And what I realized is each one has a slightly different story. So I've made money off them. I think they were good decisions to buy them, but they're losers because I think their future returns are not as good as other stuff in my portfolio. And so if I come to that conclusion, and that's the conclusion I've come to, then it's rational to then divert the money that's in those companies today and put them in the companies that have better return potential. Um, I'm not going to mention the names of each of the losers that I'm discussing today, but I will be doing postmortems on those in the future. And I'll break down the individual decision points, talk about the process that went into them, what I did well, what I didn't do well, what I'd improve in the future. Um, but the primary point which I'll reach for each of these in the end is that I'm not selling them because I think that I made mistakes. Although I think some of the companies, there were some mistakes that were made, even in the ones that I made money on. I think the key is will, will be my recognition that it's okay to move on. And it's okay to move on from companies where the returns will still be good in the future, but not as good as what your current portfolio would be if you diverted the money elsewhere. So I've been managed to sell these two companies that I've made money on, um, even though I know that their returns will continue to be positive and favorable in the future. I just have found it harder and harder to predict whether they could beat the returns of other stocks in my portfolio. And I think one way to give an example of this, to really clarify for some people listening to this, is I'll mention one of them. And one of them is Berkshire Hathaway. So Berkshire Hathaway is a great company. Berkshire Hathaway makes a lot of money. They are growing their earnings over time. They have a lot of cash. It's a very high quality company. They have great capital allocation. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, who run Berkshire Hathaway, do a very good job at communicating to shareholders and letting people know how they plan to run the company and what the future for their company is. These are all very positive things for an investor to have, but I'm defining here Berkshire Hathaway as one of my losers. And the reason is, although I've made very good returns on it, what I've realized over the last month, and I kind of knew it for six months before that, or even even longer, um, was I don't really know how to value Berkshire Hathaway. I don't really understand in an easy and intuitive manner where I could quickly pick up the 10K or 10Q and tell you what the value is on a per share basis. I'm pretty comfortable with the idea that the value is more than the current price today, or at least around the current price today. And you know we're gonna call it $217, $220 a share, something like that is what it is today. Um, in that range, I don't really look at my uh, stock prices very often, um, but you're in that range of $220 a share for Berkshire Hathaway. And I think that's maybe right. And, and, and I'd say with pretty good certainty that the company is not worth less than maybe $200 a share, and it's not worth more than maybe $260 a share. So you're kind of in a good ballpark of what the company's worth if you're going to get respectable returns going forward. 
The problem is, is that there's other companies in my portfolio. There's companies that I'm buying today that I can be much more certain about what I think their future's returns will be. So Berkshire Hathaway's outperformed what I expected it to perform when I bought it. When I bought it, I thought there was a very high probability of earning 8% to 10% annual returns for the duration of the time that I would own it because I bought it at a very low discount to what I considered the value was. I was using Berkshire's way of analyzing the company to evaluate when I should buy, or not Berkshire's way, Buffett's way of analyzing the company to know when I should buy the stock. And that performed very well for me. I earned 15 to 20% annual returns while I held the stock based upon each of my purchase prices points. At least that's a ballpark. Um, but let's say 15% annual returns. Um, the problem is, is when you look at the company today, I don't feel as good about that certainty. I don't think that there is a reasonable chance that for a 10-year period, Berkshire will earn 10% annual returns reliably from here. I think there's a pretty good chance Berkshire will return 8% annual returns going forward from here. And of course, just like before, I could be wrong and it could outperform my expectations. But it so happens that each of the companies that I consider in my top six companies, again, we had 11 stocks, we're trying to get down to six. It, I can, I'm a lot more certain that I will earn 10% plus returns in those companies while I hold them. So I'm highly certain that those will be 10 to 15% returners or more, and that my returns shouldn't be lower than 10% to a much higher degree of certainty than I am with Berkshire. And I think this same idea is what applies to all of the remaining losers that I'm selling, is I've looked at it and said, okay, these companies are less likely to achieve my hurdle rate, which is 10% returns. I've talked about this in my discount rate podcast episode. They're much less likely to achieve those 10% returns that I'm looking for than the other stocks in my portfolio. So I'm going to shift the money from these losers into the stocks that I'm more certain about. And the great part about this is that I could be wrong and I don't really know and that companies can outperform what your expectations are. It could be that both the companies that I'm buying today and the companies that I'm selling both beat 10% annual returns. And in that case, it doesn't really matter what I've done. Even if selling would have resulted in a worse performance, let's say instead of getting 14% annual returns, I get 11% annual returns. So I was, let's say I'm right in my process that the companies in the top five of my portfolio all achieve 10% annual returns. So I can be both happy that I've been right and that could result in me having a lower performance because I've been wrong in the past about what I think a company will perform. You can't reliably predict what a company will actually perform in the future. So I can't reliably tell you that Berkshire Hathaway is going to earn an 8 to 10% return. What I could know is that I thought it was highly unlikely that they did would do worse than 8 to 10% returns. And so what I'm really trying to minimize here, and this is the psychology that I've gotten to, is I'm trying to minimize my regret. I'm trying to cut out the companies that are likely to lose me money or the companies that are un or the companies that I think are 
unlikely to meet my hurdle rate. So if I can earn 10% annual returns, then I'm going to be happy even if the result is that I sell some companies that end up earning a 15% annual return. Because what I've done when I analyze my investments and I develop my investment strategy, I've looked at my future, I've looked at my plan for my finances, and I say, okay, if I can earn 10% annual returns, then I can achieve my financial goals. Therefore, my goal as an individual investor, and this is different than what professional investors necessarily have to go to. Professional investors have to worry about what other people's performance are. Professional investors have to worry about relative performance. But all you have to do as an individual investor is worry about how do I how do I achieve my absolute return hurdle? For some of you, that's 6%. For some of you, that's 2%. And for some of you, that's 15%. Some people need very high returns to achieve their goals in life. But if I say my goal is 10%, then what I need to craft in my investment portfolio is I need to create a collection of assets that minimize the chances of not reaching the 10% hurdle rate. Which means that this idea of eliminating losers is less of a concern because what you're doing is you're always trying to go for the companies not that maximize your potential return, but that minimize your potential to fail to meet your discount rate. And this is very game theory focused. We're using the mental models of um, game theory, min-max, I encourage you to read about that. But basically, we're minimizing our maximum regret. Um, And we're trying to maximize our minimum return. And we're doing those two things there to say, it's okay to sell companies that have made you money and you think will continue to reliably make you money in the future if in that future that you see, it's not going to be as good as what you'd like, or it's not going to be as good as the hurdle rate that you have set for yourself. And so the same is true for the companies that you might have lost money in. And really what you need to be doing when you're considering selling a loser that you've actually lost money, in a lot of ways, this is harder. Value investors on a relative basis find it easy to sell stocks that they've made money on and hard to sell stocks that they've lost money on. Even if you're looking at it as a total portfolio, this can be difficult. And it's because we have this innate desire to have a loss aversion. We're trying to avoid losses. Losses hurt. But just because a company's stock price is 5% or 10% lower than the price that you bought it does not mean that you made a mistake in your decision-making process. And it doesn't mean that if you continued to hold it, that the company wouldn't have worked out. Because it's quite possible that, let's say you bought a company, and this is very similar to one of the companies in my portfolio. And a year later, the company's stock price is down 10%. Now, the company could be performing well, the company could be performing terribly. But the company's stock price is down 10%. Did you make a mistake? Well, it depends. If you plan to hold it for only a year, and that was your starting strategy, well, you seemed like something went wrong. But if you plan to hold it for five years, and after a year it's down 10%, then you have a choice. You can continue to hold it for five years and see if your strategy was right. Or, in the case that I'm in today, 
I can look at that money and say, let's say that that investment was started out as $10,000 and now it's at $9,000. So let's say my five-year plan was for that $10,000 to grow to $20,000. And I look at it and I say, okay, based upon what I know today, not what I knew a year ago, is that $9,000 more likely to grow, grow into 20000 by leaving it in the company that it's in today, the one that's down 10%, company A, or by moving it to company B with different return potential? And if the answer is company B, if you think you have a higher probability of that $9,000 turning into the $20,000 that you wanted by moving it into company B, then you need to do that. It doesn't matter that the company lost you money in that purchase. And the same is true whether the loss is larger. Now, I'm using a lot of rational thoughts here, and, and, and and it's tough because for me, I'm a very rational person. I like to use logic, reasoning, numbers to convince myself to make changes, to convince myself to make decisions. And that's what I've been working through. And this is what works for me to help me overcome my psychology. Um... You might have a different strategy that's needed for you. But what I'm trying to do is show an example of what I've worked through. And so, like I said, the same is true if instead of losing 10%, you lost more. So let's say you lost 50% or 90%. You know, if your $10,000 turns into $5,000 and you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, did I make a mistake? Now, it's a lot easier to think that you might have made a mistake if the company dropped 50% than if the company dropped 10%. But that's not actually true. Your process still might have been right, and it still might be true that your $10,000 will turn into $20,000 over the course of the total five-year period. But after a year, and we're going to assume a year here again, you look and you say, okay, my $10,000 has turned into $5,000. Now, knowing what I know today is that $5,000 more likely to turn into $20,000 If I invest it in the company it is right now, company A, or if I invest it into company B. And again, if the answer is company B, you should sell company A and buy company B in order to meet your return needs. Because it doesn't matter that your original strategy was to hold this company for five years and that you still think that the company will reach that return in five years if the odds are higher for your new company B. And this is the whole concept of opportunity cost. And you really need to leverage the idea of opportunity cost to get over the idea of selling losers. Because if you don't, then you're gonna use anchoring bias and you're gonna anchor yourself to having made a decision in the past and that could lower your returns in the future. Your future self will not thank you for making a decision that's easy. Your future self will thank you for making the hard decisions. Your future self will thank you for working through what the opportunity costs are and determining where your money should be today instead of being anchored by the decisions you made a year ago or decisions you made three years ago, or decisions you made last week. You need to look at your portfolio all the time and say, what are my 
best opportunities? And what should my portfolio look like today? If you were given a lump sum of money, if you won a million dollars or you received an inheritance of a million dollars, what would your portfolio look like today if you had to buy, put all that million dollars to work? And if the answer is not the portfolio that you have right at this moment, you need to ask yourself why. Now, I'm not saying you have to make a change, but you need to wonder why you wouldn't be willing to replicate the portfolio you have today if you received a windfall. And of course, there's lots of reasons that could be the case, but you need to at least consider opportunity cost. Just like you would consider the consequences, you know, tax consequences, let's say you have a lot of gains, then you might not be able to make those same decisions. But you need to consider that your portfolio is not static, it's dynamic, it changes over time, and you need to be willing to sell your losers in order to buy more of your winners. And again, your winners are the companies that you think have the best opportunity for you to reach your discount rate, for you to reach the hurdle rate that would allow you to have a successful financial life. You need to know what that number is. And you need to be constantly evaluating the companies in your portfolio against that hurdle rate and say, which companies are most likely to hit that rate? And for me, that rate's 10%. That rate might go up in the future. It might go down in the future. I would expect for most people as they become wealthier that that discount rate would drop because you've already achieved a certain level of wealth. So the wealth rate that you need to hit is going to end up lower. But for instance, if I have my hurdle rate at 10%, it doesn't matter whether I think a company is going to return 15% or 20% a year. If I'm 95% confident it will return at least 10%. Because whether it's a 10%, a 15%, or a 20% return, I'm going to end up achieving my goals. Because I'm not comparing myself to others, I'm not comparing myself to professional investors, and I'm not comparing myself to the S&P 500 or another index. All I'm comparing myself against is achieving my financial goals. So I have I'm wor- been working through this. I've not been able to sell all five of these losers so far. I think it's an ongoing process. And I think that's what the whole point of this podcast is for me. It's for me to share my journey with you as I go through my investing process and what I'm learning. What I've learned is it's hard. It's hard to sell your losers. It's hard to sell the companies that you have made a decision and bet on in the past. And I think it's most difficult to sell those companies that have gone down in price. But I want you to understand and think about the opportunity costs involved. And I want you to find a way to maximize your future return while minimizing your potential regrets because you weren't considering opportunity cost. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Again, if you're listening on YouTube, please hit the like and subscribe button so you can get future videos from this podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or a similar listening platform, please leave me a rating and review. Your ratings and reviews help me to grow the show and spread it to a larger audience. On that note, if this was a helpful 
podcast to you, please consider sharing it with your friends. Share it on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at at Trey Henninger. And you can find a link to that in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.